God chose you for that. God moved in your life for that. God did that. God, God sent Jesus to redeem you from your sins. God sent Jesus to give you his blood. God sent you the Holy Spirit to give life to your heart. God gave you the gospel by which the Holy Spirit works the salvation for your souls. God did that. God did that. God did that. God did the whole thing. He predestined you. Isn't that comforting? That God predestines you? You've got a predestination. In other words, you know where you're going before you ever even get there. Why? Because God is doing it, not you. The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. I get to begin this morning with Ephesians chapter 1, just an amazing spiritual outburst from the Apostle Paul. Do your best to take it in here. Use what he writes to us. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is God's word.
I was convicted in a small way recently that I might use, or rather overuse, exclamation points. You know how that is in texting? It didn't used to be that way. The great author F. Scott Fitzgerald once said this. He said, cut out all exclamation points. An exclamation point is like laughing at your own joke. They used to say to journalists that you should only use an exclamation point once in your career. Just once. Like maybe for that headline, War Over, or something like that. See, it used to be that exclamation points were for those moments in life that were so world-shaking, so significant, so sacred that you just had to exclaim. I use that, and I bring that to mind because I want to use that ancient way of thinking about exclamation points this morning to say this. This part of Paul's writing in this letter is Paul's exclamation point in the letter. The scholars, they come to this little section of the Bible, they they call it a doxology, that's what it's called in Greek. If you're thinking about Hebrew, it's called a barakah. It's this untainted, unmitigated, pure portion of praise. Praise be to God, Paul says, and he just lets it loose. It's like this river of praise, this unmitigated river of praise, an exclamation point in Paul's writing in the entire letter. I mean, how do I make that clear to you? It's not even just a river. It's like a, it's an eruption, a geyser of praise. How do I make that clear? In English, you read it, and there's just a bunch of different sentences, but actually in Greek, the whole thing is one sentence. It goes on and on and on and on. It's one big geyser of praise. Five complex relative clauses. Four participial praises, 29 prepositions. Count them 29. And even if you don't understand anything that I just said, you still know that the grammar is unbelievable. Paul is tripping over himself to try to get out his message and if it's not the grammar that you look at, you've got to look at the themes. There are so many themes. There is racial reconciliation here. Adoption here. Predestination here. Election here. God's sovereignty here. Forgiveness here. Redemption here. And on and on and on I could go. The grammar, the themes, it makes it some of the most densest scripture you can read anywhere in the Bible. It's an eruption, a geyser of praise.
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul erupts. And then it builds and it builds and it builds again until finally you get to verse 6 and he says, to the praise of his glory. And then it stops for a second, but it builds and it builds and it builds just like geysers do underground. And then he erupts again and the apostle Paul says, for the praise of his glory in verse 12. And then it stops for just a second and then it goes sky high again. To the praise of his glory in verse 14. I want that for you today. I want you to erupt like a geyser in praise with an exclamation point. You got to get the punctuation right, I think. It can't be a comma, you know. Praise God, but. Not that. Can't be a period. Thanks, God. Can't be that. It can't be like a meandering brook. It can't be like a faucet that you turn back on and off, you know, depending on the conditions of your life. Praise God, life is good right now. No. It's got to be a geyser. Praise God! Exclamation point. But if we're going to get there, if we're going to get there, we have to unravel the mystery of what Paul is saying. And I want to take you through it in two parts. The first is this. I want you to praise God up in heaven. And then I want you to praise God on earth. Praise God in heaven and then praise God on earth. It doesn't take you long in the Apostles Paul's writing here to realize that he's praising God up in heaven. That's where he starts. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. Did did I say every spiritual blessing in Christ? Not a spiritual blessing in Christ, not some spiritual blessings in Christ, not even many spiritual blessings in Christ, but every spiritual blessing in Christ, every single one. Look at Paul's checklist. Just look at it. Known by God before the creation of the world. Check. Chosen by him. Check. Redeemed by Christ. Check. Forgiven in him. Check. Hope for the future. Check. Known, no, knowing of the gospel, the salvation of, of the gospel. Check. Sealed by the spirit. Check. Waiting as children for the inheritance that is yours. Check. Not a spiritual blessing in Christ. Not some spiritual blessings in Christ. Not many spiritual blessings in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. Praise God in the heavens. 
I had this funny juxtaposition earlier this week. I had to go up to our seminary, Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary in Milwaukee. Because in just about a month, our church is going to be getting a vicar, which is a student pastor. We call it a vicar. And so I go to this seminar, and I'm at this seminar, and they're trying to teach me how to be a supervising pastor for this student pastor. And they're, and they're teaching me all about it. This is how we want you to do, you know, show them how to do counseling. This is how we want you to teach them how to do teaching. This is how we want you to teach them how to do interpersonal skills. This is how we want you to teach them how to do preaching. And so they get into this preaching thing, and they say, this is how we want you to teach them to do preaching. And he has to find a malady in the text. He's got to find a malady, something, that, something that's missing in the life of the congregation, some kind of sin that he can point out, some kind of thing that's, that's not quite there in the church. You've got to find a malady. And so I'm thinking about this, right? You've got to find a malady in the text. And I'm thinking about the text, and I'm going, wait a minute. There's no malady. What's missing? What's missing? What am I going to do? What's wrong? What's missing? Are they not redeemed? No, they're redeemed. Are they not chosen? No, they're chosen. Do they not have a perfect future? No, they got a perfect future. What's missing? Nothing's missing. Not a, not some, not many, every spiritual blessing in Christ. Okay, so this prompts a question, does it not? Why aren't we erupting like a geyser more then? <laughs> Why is our prayer like a kitchen faucet? It turns off and on, like based on the conditions of our life. Why? Why is it like a comma? You're praising God, but. Is it because we're not chosen or something? Is it because we're not forgiven? I got an idea. Could it possibly be that our hearts are too committed to what's on earth to ever let them rise totally to heaven? Paul, through this scripture, invites you into heaven. He says, come on up here. Come on in. He doesn't, he doesn't praise God because he has the perfect job. He doesn't, he doesn't praise God because he's got enough money. He doesn't praise God because everything on earth is going just perfect, so he thinks. Come up into heaven. Every spiritual blessing in Christ, every single one, praise God. Be to God. So, Paul's praise starts out in heaven. But real quick, it comes to earth. In fact, we can make an argument that Paul's praise becomes most consistent when his praise comes to earth. He's thanking God. And he's so joyful that God doesn't just care about what's going on in his life, but that God is guiding every piece of it. Listen to what he says here. 
he says, in him, in Christ, we were also chosen. Having been predestined according to the plan who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his, of his will. Everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In Christ, God has purposed us unto eternal salvation. And Paul is saying everything in our lives has to, has to, everything Everything has to be conformed to that great purpose. Everything. When I take people through premarital counseling, I like to tell people, I like to tell couples that they shouldn't use absolutes. It's not helpful in a relationship. It puts people in a corner. You always, you never, that kind of thing. It's not helpful. <laughs> You corner each other. Absolutes can do that. But then there's God. There's the way we are in relationships, and there's the way God is in relationships. And what you have here is absolute. Everything, everything, everything must conform to the purpose of its will. Everything. Sometimes uh, we Christians, we call this the doctrine of predestination or the doctrine of election. It's a teaching that's actually all over the Bible. John teaches us this. The Apostle John starts out his great gospel and his prologue and he says, this is how salvation works. You didn't do it, God did it. God did it, John says. It can't be us. It can't be our biology. It can't be human choice, John says. He says, no, it's not that. It's God. People are born of God, John says. Jesus teaches the same thing. Jesus says, we're too dead in our sins to come to him on our own. We can't do it. We didn't do it. Jesus says, I, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And in another place, Jesus says, nobody comes to the Father except through me. Nobody's, the Father's got to draw them, Jesus says. Paul says the same thing. What is it that has made you Christians Christians? Why are you believers believers? God. God did that. God chose you for that. God moved in your life for that. God did that. God, God sent Jesus to redeem you from your sins. God sent Jesus to give you his blood. God sent you the Holy Spirit to give life to your heart. God gave you the gospel by which the Holy Spirit works the salvation for your souls. God did that. God did that. God did that. God did the whole thing. He predestined you. Isn't that comforting? That God predestines you 
You've got a predestination. In other words, you know where you're going before you ever even get there. Why? Because God is doing it, not you. God is doing it. So you know where you're going to go. God did that. And God will do that. Everything, everything, everything must work in conformity with his will. He is God and what he plans, he will do. He is God and what he wills will happen. He's God. Of course he's God. Praise God on earth. Everything in your life, everything in your life must conform to his great purposes. And now you know what it is. He has predestined you to eternal salvation. Praise God. I want to tell you about one of the most important spiritual moments that ever happened in my life. I want to share it with you because I hope it's helpful to you. It actually came from this scripture. See, ever since I was a little boy, I knew about this teaching from scripture that God chooses people and he brings them to himself. There are those that God chooses that he brings all the way to eternal glorification. I knew that. I'd been taught that ever since I was a little kid. It's all over the Bible. You can't miss it. But there was this little fear in my heart. And I could never say it out loud. Until God gave me the grace of marriage. So I'm at the seminary. Think about that. I'm at the seminary learning all the truths and all the doctrines. I know it all. I got it. I got it. And I've got this fear. I'm reading Ephesians 1 just for myself in the morning. And finally I come out with it. I say to my wife, Melanie, what if these verses are not about me? What if they're not about me? She said, but they are. And she walked me through it. God has brought the gospel to you. Don't you see it? God has forgiven you. Don't you see it? And the joy I knew in that moment. You know, me, little old me. God named me in his heart before the creation of the world. The light bulb finally went on when I was in the seminary. Because God gave me the grace of marriage. Well, God's given you the grace this morning of pastor. So maybe I can help you. Maybe there's a little fear in your heart. Are these verses talking about me? See, you just, what you got to do is you got you to name yourself. You got to name yourself. You got you to kind of imagine it. You got to name it. These verses are about me, the Spirit says to you. You know, we can talk about, talk about this in human terms, right? God is having this divine conference before the creation of the world. And the Father says, 
I want to save Jonathan Herbert Borman. I want to do it. And Jesus pipes up and he says, yes, Father, I will go down there and I will redeem him with my blood. Yes, Father, I'm going to do that. And the Spirit says, I agree. I'm totally in. I'm going to go down there and I'm going to enter his heart through the gospel and I'm going to give him faith and I'm going to seal him until the day of his salvation. I'm going to do it. And the Holy Trinity, they say to each other, Amen. Let it be done. You know? Let it be done. They're mine. He's mine. He's not going to always know what's going on in his life. He's not going to understand everything, but everything, everything, everything. We agree. Everything is going to work in conformity with this good purpose. Praise God. Praise God on earth. So, how about this this morning? Why don't we be done with all the hand-wringing? Why don't we just be done with it? Oh, we worry, don't we? Did this decision, was it the right one? Was it the wrong one? Did I mess up my life entirely? (laughs) Oh, we're concerned. The world is such a mess, we say. It's like this ocean. It can sweep us away into unbelief, we worry. Are we really going to be the kind of people who think that our choices are bigger than God's? Are we really going to think that the ocean that is this world, this turbulent ocean, is bigger than the God who made all the oceans? No, we're not going to think that. Let's be done with all the hand-wringings. After our prayers, and after we make decisions, let's trust God. Not our decisions. God. After we look at all the crazy things that are going on in the world, let's not imagine that the world is an ocean and we're on a lifeboat and we're threatened to get tossed out of it. The truth is different. The raging ocean is actually God's lifeboat. And you can't fall out of it. Because the whole thing is guided by him. Everything, everything, everything must conform to God's good purposes. And now you know what his good purpose is. Your eternal salvation. And what God plans he will do and what he wills always happens. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, every single one. Redemption, chosenness, predestination, adoption, sonship, inheritance, forgiveness, everything. Praise to God in heaven and praise to God on earth. Our salvation is not in our hands. It is in God's hands.
All of the powers of hell and Satan might be unleashed on us, but God will not fail because he is God. Everything must conform to his purpose. And now you know what it is. So praise God on earth. And then we're left with this question. Why me? Why me? Why would God love little old me? Well, because of him. Because of him. Because he has that much grace and that much love and that much mercy because of him. Praise God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, grant that by your grace they may your will each day embrace. With fruits of faith their lives now bless till they at death your name confess. Then robed in white before your throne your holy saints by you foreknown, predestined, called, and justified, shall crowned in light be glorified. Keep them, Lord. Keep them, Lord. Always. Amen.